Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, Art of Charm fans. Do you ever feel like you're stuck in a rut? Like no matter how hard you try, you just can't seem to make real progress towards your personal and professional goals. If you're serious about unlocking your full potential, then it's time to ignite your X Factor with the Art of Charm X Factor Accelerator. Discover our secret weapon designed exclusively for driven individuals just like you who demand more from life and are eager to elevate their skills and mindset. We'll laser focus on connection, mindset, and relationships to build the life you deserve. Whether you're on a mission to forge unbreakable bonds with colleagues, clients, potential partners, or hungry to cultivate a relentless growth mindset that empowers you to conquer challenges and taste success, the X Factor Accelerator community is your ultimate ally. Experience tailor-made guidance and unwavering support as you triumph in every sphere of your life. Inside the X Factor Accelerator, your dating life will be transformed master the art of building deep connections radiate unshakable confidence and attract the relationship of your dreams don't resign yourself to mediocrity seize the opportunity to join the x-factor accelerator today and unleash your true potential your transformation is our mission are you ready to take the leap are you ready to discover your x-factor and become extraordinary Visit UnlockYourXFactor.com and embark on a journey towards elite-level social skills that will skyrocket your career, personal life, and relationships. Remember, the key to greatness lies in your hands, and it starts with your X Factor. Become extraordinary at UnlockYourXFactor.com today. Welcome back to the Art of Charm podcast. This week's episode is a compilation of our episodes with some of the world's leading experts on body language. Jack Schaefer, former FBI agent and author of the book, The Light Switch, breaks down the power of a first impression and how to read body language when meeting somebody. FBI agent Joe Navarro explains what they don't teach you in school about body language and how to pick up on subtle body language cues. Abby Murano shares how to use body language to rapidly build trust and how important lower body language is to our communication. And Anne-Marie Jaud, behavioral advisor and CEO of The Behavior Company, explains how to read pacifiers and body language and what they mean. So let's get right to it. As human beings, body language is something that we've been observing since we were babies. We learn to distinguish between side-eye glance, a smile, or a frown when we're just 12 months old. So unless you're a toddler, interpreting body language has been with you for longer than your ability to form words. When then would we dedicate an entire episode to this topic? Because it is a skill that is becoming more and more important, and at the same time, one that massively atrophying in the Western world. Jack Schaefer, former FBI agent and author of the book, The Light Switch, put it succinctly in our interview with him. Jack Schaefer, 
why we suck at reading cues. No, these things you got to remember are the things that we do every single day, whether we know it or not. These are the things we do when we interact with people. So it's an intuitive, natural thing that all people do. They're just not aware of it. And nowadays, the people that don't know about these social cues have a difficult time talking to people because they haven't learned those cues, either because they're too busy with technology or they just, I have a hard time reading those skills. When I was a kid, we'd be playing with other kids in the the ballpark and, mm-hmm. and stand lots, and we would be reading each other's social cues because we were with people every single day. So it wasn't that much of a problem. Nowadays, it, it seems to be more of a problem. Do you find that for those of us who are working on improving our ability to read and project these skills, that there is a pronounced learning curve when we overanalyze? Yeah, there's, there's a learning curve, but you got to remember these are instinctive things. Once people learn these things, it's very easy to adapt them and become friends with people. But being able to decipher body language not only fills a knowledge gap that will continue to hold back many of our peers. It will make you, in the words of Joe Navarro, an intentionally acclaimed body language expert, exceptional. Listen to him explain the reasoning in our interview with him. Joe Navarro, they don't teach you to be exceptional in school. You know, if you ask the average person, what does it take to, to be exceptional? And, and, and your question is, is good, AJ. It, you know, it's, well, what do I mean by that? I mean, you're the kind of person that when you walk away, you say, wow, I, I, I feel better for having known that person. I feel better for having been around that person. I somehow have benefited from that person, and I don't know why. And it obviously, it has nothing to do with wealth or property or, or anything like that. And there were some people there that I, I've you know, ran into and studied. And I said, what is it that they have in common? You know, because you can't go to the university and say, I want exceptional 101 because I'm going to graduate in, in this. Come to find out, find out, no university teaches you to be exceptional. They teach you skills. One of the most impactful things that great body language does for you is leave a very positive first impression Something that's easy to get wrong, as Jack Schaefer explains. In Jack Schaefer, the power of the first impression. It's difficult to change a first impression. The only thing that you can do to change a first impression is is you have to time out. You have to meet that person so many times that they finally realize that their first impression is wrong. That's why it's very, very important to make a first impression. Because that first impression serves as a filter through which they see the other person from that time forward. But why is the first impression so important? Dr. Abby Murano, one of the world's leading researchers on body language, discussed this with our interview with her. Trust has evolved to be very, very quick from nonverbal communication. We actually judge trustworthiness in 33 milliseconds. So it's literally the first judgment that we make about anybody before confidence, Uh, before competence, anything is trust. And it can be, we can perceive someone as trustworthy very, very quickly, but we can also perceive someone as untrustworthy, just like that, 
just as quick, even if we've made that initial judgment of trustworthy, all they have to do is one thing and our brain says, no, not safe. And then it's gone. So it depends on, again, the kind of trust that you're looking at. If we're having an interaction now, we have a one-time interaction, then all your judgments are based on me in this one interaction. But then if I am very, very trustworthy and you think, no, I trust you, you seem trustworthy, and then we have another interaction and I behave slightly differently, all of that trust that's built up is gone. So to answer your question, it can be built very quickly. It can be built over a long period of time and it can be destroyed very quickly and it can be destroyed after a long period of time. If you've had this very, very long, lengthy, trustworthy relationship, one thing, one simple thing, and it can be broken down just like that. And we need to be able to identify who we can cooperate with. So the one way that we've done that is we've evolved these nonverbal communication tactics of showing trustworthiness. So rather than just saying, hey, um, you know, I'll cooperate with you, we need to instantly be able to detect who is cooperative. So we have evolved these behaviors which say, I'm trustworthy, so we can pick out who to cooperate with. And there's a lot of argument on this topic that, well, that can't be the case because people could use these tactics and pretend to be cooperative and just show these trustworthy behaviors and actually be um, a deceptor, be deceptive. But the thing is, because we are a cooperative species, that non-cooperator isn't going to last very long because in our social groups, we have gossip. So if someone isn't cooperative, all it takes is one person to say they didn't cooperate and then the whole group know they're a non-cooperator. So we don't need to look for you know, tactics of these cues of deception. That's not what we've evolved to look for. We've evolved to be quick and look for trustworthiness. And we see it in modern day now. You know, if you want to go to a restaurant, what is the first thing that you do? You look on Google for reviews. You look for what people have said about it. If you're getting into a new relationship and you know that they know a friend, first thing you do what are they like tell me about them have they done anything wrong because we count on the gossip of other people and we see it in celebrity magazines and all of these things we we thrive on it as a species because that's where we get our information about you know who is deceptive and who is trustworthy and that's why it's so important not to view this as you said earlier as a toolkit because your reputation builds trust and if you're just turning it on and turning it off with certain people that you view as high value, you know, we use, use this example in, in class, how you treat the janitor is exactly how you should treat the executive of the company because your reputation matters. And that consistency is huge to building the trust that you're looking for. Yeah. And you see in corporate a lot of the time and people say, oh, well, it, you know, it is dog eat dog because they're this way and they're up at the top. They're doing amazing and they're not cooperative and they stand above people. And it's like, well, that that doesn't mean that corporate, cooperation isn't the better way to go. They might be successful with their manipulative tactics, but it doesn't mean that they wouldn't be more successful if they were cooperative. People are successful all the time using negative tactics. But just because people are doesn't mean that is the only way to get there or the best way to get there. Just think if that person who is at the top for being manipulative, decided to actually become trustworthy and be cooperative, imagine how much better they could do. And what you do see around people that have got that way and got to the top without being trustworthy and without being cooperative 
you see this bad reputation around them. You see lawsuits and you see complaints and you see unhappy staff. You see staff that don't enjoy their jobs and staff that don't enjoy their jobs. What means, you know, a non-cooperative work environment, a non-productive work environment. So let's go to the heart of the matter. Jack Schaefer, the former FBI agent, walked us through the basics of a sincere human connection. Well, the first thing we need is proximity. You have to be proximal to somebody before you can even start a relationship. And in today's world, we can call that virtual proximity if you want. But you you have to be in connection with somebody before a relationship can develop. The other thing about proximity is something you mentioned is if we see somebody every day, and we're with them and we see them, we develop a mutual interest. Even if we don't talk to those people, we develop a mutual interest or like towards them. So that predisposes us to like somebody before we even open our mouths. Yeah. And in the book, you gave some great examples of going to the same place every day, knowing that the people you're trying to win over would frequent that place as well. Yeah. All you do is uh, you show up, you don't intrude on people's lives. You just show up and be proximal. And then they determine if you walk in with the friend signals and you display friend signals when you're proximal to other people, then they'll know that you're not a threat and they will display friend signals back and they'll know they're not a threat to you. And therefore that that's a predisposition to liking one another. Well, the the first friend signal is a long-distance friend signal, and that's an eyebrow flash. That's a quick up-and-down movement of the eyebrows. It lasts about one-sixty-fourth of a second. When we approach people, we send out this long-distance signal that says, I'm not a threat. They, in turn, will return or reciprocate with an eyebrow flash that says, I'm not a threat either. And you see this most commonly in the workplace, when you pass one another on the, in the halls, first time you see somebody in the day, you go, hey, how you doing? The second time you see that person, you don't have to say, hey, how you're doing. What you typically do will eyebrow flash one another. Or in the case of guys, they'll do a chin jut. They'll stick their chin out. All we're doing is telling each other we're not a threat. Those are signals that say, I'm not a threat. Yeah, it's that subtle acknowledgement of the other person. You're not ignoring them, obviously, and you're giving them an opportunity also to chat you up. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is it lasts about, you know, one sixty-fourth of a second. You don't even realize you're doing it. But once I tell people about the eyebrow flash, they go out and see it everywhere they go, and they come back and they say, my gosh, I, I can't believe that I've been eyebrow flashing people for years and they've been eyebrow flashing me for years and I just didn't realize it. I didn't, I didn't even recognize it. But once you recognize something like that, when you approach another person, now you can intentionally make sure that you eyebrow flash that person to send that right friend signal to predispose them to like you as you're approaching them. Yeah. I think it's, it's, you know, we see what we're looking for, and, and it's not until you bring that to a conscious level that you're able to see those things. I know for our work that we've done at, at AOC, it's not till we videotape our clients and allow them to see it on playback of all these certain behaviors that unconsciously they have been doing that may or may not have been hurting or helping themselves. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. 
In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over seven billion dollars. Yeah. And uh, the second friend signal would be the head tilt. When we approach somebody, we want to make sure we tilt our head slightly to the left or slightly to the right. And what the head tilt does, it op opens up your carotid artery and exposes it. And when you expose your carotid artery, it shows that you have trust in somebody because they could attack your carotid artery and kill you within minutes. So what you're telling that person is, I trust you. And if you really want to see this displayed, anybody who has a dog, as soon as you, you enter the home, your dog will sit there and typically tilt its head one way or the other, or they'll flip over and expose their underbelly. 
which is the weakest point of the body. What they're saying is, I trust you. You know, I, I don't see you as a threat. Guys run into this problem. You know, if you keep your head upright in a business environment, that's a good thing because it shows that you're dominant and that you're not going to be taken advantage of. But then they take that same lack of head tilt and they bring it into social environment. So the people that they meet then are looking at them as dominant, overbearing people. And they don't realize, how does, why does that person see me that as that and I'm not? Well, it's because they don't tilt their head. They're so used to doing that in the business world that they forget about converting to the social environment where you have to tilt your head. So these are like skill sets that you have to become aware of and use the specific skill set in a specific time and place where it's appropriate. And that goes back to that third. We forgot about the third friend signal, and that's the smile. And that's very, very important because when we smile, we release endorphins. And endorphins make us feel good about ourselves. So the golden rule of friendship says if you make yourself feel good about, if you make other people feel good about themselves, they're going to like you more. So if I smile at somebody, they're going to get a shot of endorphins. And then they're going to feel good about themselves. And then they're going to like me more. So the smile is very important. And it has to be a genuine smile. So if you're not up to a, a real smile, just make sure that you scrunch up the uh, crow's feet around your eyes. Because the other person's brain is going to pick up on that signal that says that's a genuine smile versus a fake smile. Dr. Moreno agree with him there and also explains the effect that these have on others. And while understanding why these techniques work may be first seem unnecessary detail, it is important to understand that body language isn't just a set of techniques. For the true master, it comes down to first principles and the interconnectedness of signals we send or receive. We'll look at this in more detail, but first, Dr. Moreno. It starts with a smile. We know how important the smile is. And the smile truly is a social signal. Think about when you go bowling. Um, when you hit a strike, you stay completely straight faced. When you hit the strike, it's only when you turn around and see people that you smile. You communicate, I'm excited, I'm happy. That's what the smile has evolved to do, to communicate. To communicate, I'm not a threat, I'm happy, I'm happy to see you. This funny thing happens when we see a smile and see a true, genuine smile. So when the upper cheeks are raised and we see the Dutchman eyes, um, it, release, it releases oxytocin. Um, and oxytocin suppresses that fight or flight instinct where we say, you know, I might not be safe. I need to go or I might need to go. The smile relaxes us and just says, you know, no, it's safe. It's fine. Um, and any behavior that could expose a vulnerability. So we've evolved, like I said, in a really dangerous environment. Um, and one part of our body that we protect is our throat, which is why when we see things that scare us or when we hear bad news, a lot of the time we, we put our hand to our throat without realizing we protect our throat. Or if something has, you know, we've had horrible news, we often kind of stroke our throat and it's that instinct to protect when there could be, you know, a predator or something that could harm us. So when we want to show that we're trustworthy, we kind of lean our head to the side, we do this head tilt, and we expose our neck because we're exposing a vulnerable part of our body and saying, you know, I don't think you're a threat. 
I'm not a threat. Here's a vulnerable part to show you that I'm not a threat. And dogs actually do that too. And I think this behavior was first mentioned in Charles Darwin's book on the emotions of man and animals. Um, and he noticed it from his dog. And he saw certain behaviors in his dogs. And then it kind of, you know, we started to learn, oh, humans do these too. Um, and then we really started to figure out, you know, this is a signal to say, I'm trustworthy at saying. And also anything that is very open, so things like open postures and open palms. So if I'm talking to you, I have my palms facing outwards. You can see what is in my hand. I haven't got a weapon. My hands are behind my back. Your brain says, uh-oh, <laughs> there could be something there in the hand. So always making sure that you are facing someone um, and have your palms out and showing, you know, I'm not hiding anything from you. And this is also why people that hide information or hold back information can be perceived as untrustworthy. So when we tell kind of half truth and we hold a bit of information back and bosses do this all the time where you know there's some bad news, but they're not really telling you everything. It's that we don't know what it is that they have. So our brain says it's, it's the worst it could possibly be. So we feel uncomfortable. We feel unconsciously that they are untrustworthy because it's that same feeling of there could be a threat there. I can't see that there isn't a threat. So my brain says there is. Well, what's so interesting in, in the work that we've done over the last 15 years is that we'll tell our clients, hey, smiling is important. But internally, they feel like they are smiling all the time, yet they're not openly expressing that full face smile. And it takes us actually filming them and showing them the video for themselves to show the discomfort that they're showing in these situations where they're feeling a little bit of social anxiety, some tension and pressure. And once they realize just the simple change in that smile and showing it early and often as you communicate with someone, it leads to an entirely different interaction. So we're also wired to respond in turn and mirror back that smile and bring energy to our communication when we feel the other person is bringing that smile in and showcasing us that trustworthiness. So it really changes the tenor of the entire conversation. Yeah, it's emotional contagion. So if someone is showing you, I'm smiling, I'm happy, I'm really excited, you kind of get just instant more energy from interacting with them because you take on some of their emotions. Just like we have all been in a conversation with an energy drain where you are excited and they are so just mellow and their tone of voice is mellow and their behaviors are mellow and then you just start to feel tired. It's the same thing. It's just that we mimic people unconsciously and through that we take on their emotions and we can't help it. it again, that's an evolved um, behavior and that's what I did my PhD in unconscious mimicry and it really does work through emotional contagion talking of cues jack schaefer has some advice specifically for introverts what happens is when when you walk into a room or a party and a shy person an extrovert will just go make friends with people automatically a shy person won't know who to make friends with or who to approach the best way to find out who to, to approach is to look at people's feet because if two people are sitting toe or standing toe to toe, they have a closed relationship right there. They don't want anybody else to join in. But if their toes are askance and there's an opening, that says that they're open to a new person to walk up. 
and and uh, enter the group. So it, it works with larger groups when they're in semicircles. You can approach that group easier than if they're in a closed circle. So, you know, you can encourage people to look at the feet. In, in other words, if, if there's room for the feet, you can meet that person. Dr. Morano's research backs him up on this and raises a few important rules to consider. A really interesting study that I've recently done is looking at the power of the lower body to create perceptions of approachability. So we talked about this orientation facing someone and orientating towards them. And we know from research that when you orientate towards someone, you're perceived as more approachable, you're perceived as more warm and inviting. And I wanted to see if, okay, well, what about the lower body? What if my upper body is facing towards you, but my lower body is facing away? And what about my foot specifically? Because we know that the lower body has an effect because studies have shown that the feet are honest. So when we're nervous, the rest of the body is saying, oh, fine, but the foot is tapping away because we think that people can't see it. So if we're trying to control for our behaviors, we think about my face, my hands, my upper body, but we don't think, okay, I've got to control my feet. We just kind of let them do their thing, which is why I was really interested to see if the feet carry any effect. And what I found was that using a male and a female individually um, as targets, so they had their upper body facing towards um, an observer, lower body either facing towards or facing away. And lower body facing towards, they were perceived as approachable. Lower body facing away, they were perceived as unapproachable. Statistically significant. But what was interesting is the sex of the target didn't matter. Sex of the observer didn't matter. What also didn't matter was how introverted or extroverted the observer was. The only thing that mattered was the foot orientation. And it just shows, you know, tiny behaviors, moving my foot towards or away from facing you can change how approachable I'm perceived. And that's incredible. And I did another study recently, and it actually came out with this open versus closed gestures that I've been talking about. But the finding was accidental because I wanted to see people's lower bodies when they were uncomfortable. So when they were in an interview and the interviewee and the interviewer was, you know, a bit out of order, said something too personal, something a bit derogatory that made the interviewee uncomfortable. And what we saw was this sequence of people make themselves small with their lower body. When they're uncomfortable, they bring their knees together, they tuck their feet below their chair. But it's important, the sequence that occurred. So if I tuck my feet by my chair and then keep my knees out, that doesn't actually indicate discomfort. It's doing a number of these behaviors. So bringing my knees and keeping my knees and then tucking my feet and then keeping my legs closed, things like this, where you see multiple closing gestures. That's what indicated discomfort. And interestingly, behaviors that we do associate with discomfort, like um, we have blocking displays, So we kind of put our hands on top of our genitals and we feel attacked and we kind of protect ourselves. Um, And we, um, a lot of the time we do cross our arms and we feel attacked, but it isn't indicative of it. And that's a mistake, but it is something that we do, but it doesn't mean that when we do it, that is what we feel. Um, But we saw these blocking displays in all groups, comfortable versus uncomfortable because of the context. So it was the interview causing some discomfort displays. 
but the tucking of the feet and the bringing the legs together that was only to do with the interviewer making them uncomfortable so again it speaks to this um, importance of recognizing what displays actually mean if we said you know any time they show a blocking display they're uncomfortable and making them feel this way if we just went off of that that this one behavior means this one thing we would interpret it differently we'd interpret it wrong because we don't take the context and it's the same virtually interviews create more discomfort so we're likely to see more discomfort displays so does a virtual environment if somebody is showing anxious displays regularly despite you showing trustworthiness doesn't necessarily mean you're making them uncomfortable if everything else is saying i'm comfortable i trust you but they are showing you know a couple of displays we see those behaviors in a virtual setting because it is unnatural we just have to take it in the bigger picture are all of their behaviors or most of their behaviors showing me discomfort or is it just one and then everything else is saying comfort because if it's just the one that's likely to be their pacifier. That's likely to be the one thing that's their outlet. You know, I twiddle my pen sometimes, or, you know, a lot of people touch their face or jiggle their foot. And that's their pacifier. It has nothing to do with you. has nothing to do with what you said. It's all the other behaviors that you have to take into consideration as a whole. Anmar Jaoud, behavior advisor and CEO of The Behavior Company, adds her own take on pacifiers. I'm so alert when it comes to pacifying behavior that that because I look for this comfort level for both parties, and if I see certain behavior that might be, come from discomfort, I always realize, I always reflect, oh, is there something I did wrong? Should I do something differently? But we should know, of course, that is not always the case. Sometimes it's just people who want to enhance their, you know, the feeling or that they just um, are a bit distracted. Yeah. So what are some of these pacifying behaviors that you encounter? Well, there are hundreds, <laughs> hundreds, yeah. AJ. So when it comes to uh, pacifying behavior, you could say it's usually focused on uh, t- touching yourself, but that pacifying behavior can be women, you know, playing with their hair, but it could also be stroking your cheek or just these little things that we do. Um, but when it comes to stressful situation, so this is small, when it's more stressful, you see more emphasis on it. So what you see sometimes is distortion of the hands or wringing of the hands, or even, you know, people who, who uh, sometimes you can just adjust your hair, but if you see this kind of behavior, that would be, uh, showing less comfort. Um, you can also see it with people who play with uh, items that they have. So sometimes you just do this with a pen. Okay, that is a pacifying behavior that might not be very distracting, but sometimes you even see people, I don't, I don't have a click pen, but you know, they go there all the time, repetition on that. So th- these are the things you can look out for. Um, and it could mean that there's a setting that this person is dis, uh, feels this discomfort and maybe you have something to do with it. So when you're in a setting that where it happens, you could reflect on yourself. Oh, did I say something or did I do something to cause this discomfort? However, there's a lot of myths and untruths about body language. A good example of this is an all-time favorite, eye contact and the many myths that surround this topic. Dr. Morano had a lot to say about this. So in terms of the myth, we think that people that look away are lying 
or people that look away are hiding something and that just isn't true people look away all the time they might be uncomfortable they might be very comfortable but they just don't give much eye contact um, in terms of how to give good eye contact we have this um, sort of optimum square and it's from the nose to the eyes uh, square triangle sorry from the eyes to the nose and it's this this is the business gaze the eyes to the nose and that's where we look and then we kind of have a more social gaze which is from the eyes to the mouth and then that's where we look sort of in a social setting and then we have the intimate gaze which is the eyes down to the chest so you wouldn't look from the eyes to the chest in a business setting like you should also avoid in a business setting looking from the eyes to the mouth you stay within that business gaze so that's kind of a good paradigm of where to look in different settings but in terms of how much to look i don't think there is you know a perfect amount of eye contact to give also because people differ in how much eye contact they like to receive so give good eye contact you know regular eye contact but don't stare at somebody because that makes them uncomfortable and just recognize you know do they look like i'm making them uncomfortable by looking at them too much and if they they start to look a bit nervous you know just move your gaze away you don't have to completely turn and ignore them but just you know flick to other things and show them you're listening and then kind of flick to other things and show them you're listening again so just you have to figure out how they're comfortable and how you're comfortable as well because if you're thinking okay eye contact eye contact eye contact you're probably going to miss the fact that they're like why are they giving me so much eye contact <laughs> it's uncomfortable so don't think too much about it I would just stay within the correct gaze frame and then go with what feels comfortable. And that is as much attention really that I give to eye contact because I think it really is, again, just that simple that we look for this perfect amount or perfect equation for things and we overcomplicate it and then struggle to do it perfectly. And We've heard in the past that the direction that you're looking when you're breaking eye contact is accessing different brain cues. Is there any science around the direction that you're actually looking when you break eye contact? No, <laughs> no. I mean, we do look in different directions when we access different parts of our brain. But I mean, we use 100% of our brain. You know, most of the time there isn't a part of our brain that isn't active at some point. Um, so I think that sits within that myth of, you know, we use 10% of our brain. That's saying, you know, we um, if we're creative, we only use the right side or the left side. All of these things, same with, you know, we look in a certain direction when we're lying. They all fit within that paradigm of just myths that, you know, again, don't think too much into them because there really isn't any science um, backing them. To wrap this up, one crucial point. This advanced knowledge of body language and the accompanying techniques are not there for their own sake. They are there for the benefit of those around us. Listen to how Joe Navarro explains it. We humans don't seek perfection. We seek psychological comfort, number one. But number two, we seek validation. And validation, uh, I, I know you know this, Johnny, Validation is, is something as simple as, oh, you know what? That's a good point. And that means so much to me that you would say that, even though you may disagree with it. It's the fate. You know, when I look at failure to validate, especially intentional, when I see managers who fail to validate people, 
who absolutely, I, you know, I just read a book on Humphrey Bogart, um, and I wanted to see, you know, say, Joe Navarro, <laughs> body language guy, what's he doing? <laughs> I, I wanted to see what it was like when the old studio system existed. These guys would sign up literally for seven-year contracts. Humphrey Bogart had a 15-year contract with, with that's one, what, one-fifth of your life <laughs> in, in those days? And, you know, it, and they're, they're signing their, their, their lives away. But what did they want the most? They wanted validation. <laughs> they wanted to be validated. And we, and we forget the importance of it. Um, they had money. But it was if if you asked these these old stars what what did you really value, you know, for a, a studio executive to say, hey, you know, you're helping us make fifty six movies a year, and uh, we we want to thank you for that. This week's shout-out goes to Trevor, a driven young professional with a thirst for success. Seeking an advantage in life, Trevor discovered the ultimate shortcut to unlocking his true potential, a game-changer to interpersonal relationships to give him an expert level of confidence in reading body language. It's no secret that success isn't about what you know, but who you know. And that's why Trevor can't stress enough how vital it is to master the art of building meaningful connections. And that's exactly what the X Factor Accelerator does. Through the Art of Charms X Factor Accelerator, Trevor gained an inside track to fostering genuine connections with others. This intensive program taught him the secrets of effective communication, persuasive influence, and expert-level mastery of reading body language. This program helped Trevor effortlessly understand the unspoken cues, enhancing his interactions both personally and professionally. Trevor had this to say, If you're a young professional hungry for success, I urge you to experience the life-changing impact of the X Factor Accelerator. Take that leap of faith, invest in yourself, and watch your opportunities skyrocket. Believe me, the confidence and skills you'll gain are priceless. Don't settle for average. Become exceptional with the Art of Charms X-Factor Accelerator. If you listen this far, my guess it's because you want more out of life and finally succeed at work, love, and life. And if that's the case, then join us the Art of Charm team, and hundreds of others just like you who are experiencing breakthroughs and conversations, supercharging up their confidence, and growing an incredible network inside our world-famous X-Factor Accelerator program. The X-Factor Accelerator is where high-achieving, like-minded people meet, strategize to unlock their hidden X-Factor to make sure that you get the most out of life's opportunities and unlock those doors, keeping you from success. We start every month with an intense goal-setting strategy session so that you have a personalized plan of attack, as well as weekly implementation sessions and opportunities to practice your conversational skills, rapport building, supercharge your charisma through power for communication, and unlock the charm to attract the right people in your life. Imagine what you can accomplish with coaching and mentorship with the Art of Charm. What are you waiting for? Join us today at unlockyourxfactor.com. That's unlockyourxfactor.com. 
All right, before we head out, a huge thank you to our producers, Eric Montgomery and Michael Harold. Go out there and have an epic week. Yeah, I remember you. It was-